Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. This is Steve, I'm here with Barrett. Hey there, Steve. How's it going? Good. It's been a while since we've been on a podcast together. It has been too long, I think, is what the words should be. It's too long, too long. We should be doing this more often. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. <laughs> so I know we've had quite a bit of other content lately, so it's been a while. But uh, we're back, and we're going to do a review of Madara. Yes. So this is not a new game, but you know what? We thought it'd be fun to to talk about an older game, in case you guys haven't heard about it. And honestly, I don't think Baron and I have talked about it much, other than on mentioning it a few times through other content sources it might have been on oh i don't know my top 10 games on my channel might have been on uh, maybe the top games (laughs) of last year might have been mentioned somewhere in there but yeah it's gonna be awesome to actually talk about this one i'm really excited to tell everybody else more than just a little snippet of it but actually big dig deep into madara i think it'll be fun oh for sure and uh baron and i have been having fun playing it together actually uh remotely on tabletop sim so we've been playing through the first act is what we're going to be basing our review off of. Yes, that's right. We made it through Act 1. Now, in the actual, the first act, which is, it, it's kind of weird to explain, but Madara had uh, Unintentional Malum Act 1 is the first base core box. Um, and, of course, we've only played the first part of that core box. Now, of course, 2 and 3, Act 2 and 3 are coming in the actual mail at some point. I'm really excited for them. So we've actually only played one-fifth of the core box of three different core boxes. How about that? Yeah, there's only a little bit of content for this game, right? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the understatement of the century. <laughs> but yeah, we'll jump in that in a little bit. But first, I have some other things to talk about. Uh, what have you been up to, Barrent? So, of course, Steve, I am still headstrong into Kingdom Death. And actually, I was reminded by Colin over at Red Beans and Dice, not not Colin at One Stop Co-op Shop, different, different YouTube channel, that I have actually just hit my 50th video on Kingdom Death Monster. It's been, I know, celebration time. And we're not done yet. There's still more. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I do actually, I'm starting a playthrough of Horizon Zero Dawn coming up pretty soon. I'm really excited for that one. I just got table tried out a few times. I am pleasantly surprised that this one. I was a little skeptical by what I saw and read in the game, but after actually playing it for a little while, it's actually looking pretty good. Uh, what else is there to tell you about? Well, I do know there's a, uh, some friends of mine, Fallen Dominion. They're coming up with their next Kickstarter for an expansion for a game called Fallen Lands, a post-apocalyptic board game. If people are interested in that, of course, that's on my channel over at Meet Me at the Table. Uh, I did a playthrough of that one, but their Kickstarter is coming up soon. That's a really fun game. If you're looking for a great post-apocalyptic game, it's a really good one to go for. But other than that, Steve, it's just been, you know, the normal life, the normal life we can lead right now. How about you? What have you been up to? <laughs> been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, mostly, honestly, with working on our Discord server. And if you guys aren't familiar, we do have a Discord community server. You can come and chat and about get cooperative solo games at all hours of the day, I feel like, <laughs> especially with international uh, community folks. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun working on that. And Started up a Twitch stream, which the reason for that is because uh, we did an Extra Life recently. So that was a blast. So that Extra Life campaign was trying to raise money for children's hospitals. So we did a day where, not a full day, but a huge portion of the day where 
everyone from the One Stop Co-op Shop crew, we all played games live on the Twitch channel. And it was absolutely a blast. I had a wonderful time playing games all day, and I was really excited to see all the different people coming on to say hi and to help donate. It was absolutely fantastic. We Our goal was only 300, Steve. Can you believe that? And we like not only doubled it, we went above that. It was amazing to see how much people were able to help with this cause. It was so cool to see everybody come out and help us. Yeah, I want to really personally thank everyone. If you happen to just watch and participate or if you donate yourself, it made it a huge success, and I was really blown away by all the support. Uh, I think we raised over $800 with just us alone on our channel, but as a team, um, we raised over 1000 So that was a, a lot, a lot of fun. The other thing I want to mention, too, is Barrett and I happen to be recording this on Veterans Day. So if any of you listeners out there are veterans, I want to thank you for your support. Yes, I will also like to say that I thank you for everything you've done for us, and it means a lot. It really does. So thank you so much. And then we have one more thank you to give out, and that is to our Patreon supporters. This week, I'd like to thank Florian Weisskeller, a co-op lover, Labak, a co-op MVP, and Michael Garofalo, a co-op lover. So thanks to you, Patreon supporters, and honestly, all our Patreon supporters who help us keeping all this content going. And with that, let's jump into Madara Review. This is your first time listening. We'd like to do a review format, format where we talk about the top five things you need to know about a game. We start with our least important. And we mention if it's a pro and con, and we work our way to our number one, the most important thing you need to know. But first, what is Madara? Baron, would you like to describe the game? Would I like to describe Madara? You bet I would. So Madara is a dungeon crawler, but it's not just your typical dungeon crawler. It's a dungeon crawler that has a lot of character development because the actual storybook for the dungeon crawler is over 400 pages long. Yes, 400 pages of narrative. But don't worry, it's on an app and you can listen to it if you want to, which is actually really cool. And on top of that, they got spark notes. So if you just want to get a little brief idea of what's going on before you jump into combat, you can. Of course, this game is played with four characters. Some dungeon crawlers let you put characters in and out but for the narrative to make sense you really need to play with all four characters and on top of that these characters are kind of blank slates in a way and you can kind of create any type of character you want as you play through this game which is really cool of course you're going to be battling different monsters as you're moving through the dungeon and every place has an ending which then carries on with the story in between all the different parts of the dungeon in the narrative, you're also going to be doing like different checks to see which paths you might be going down. And if that wasn't enough, there's even a fail-forward system where if you do actually don't make it out of one of the things, it will actually uh, guide you down a different path in the storybook. So you might get a different ending than somebody else who has played the game. So it has a really cool replayability in that way. And on top of that, the four, char char four core characters you get, which is a nice tongue twister, you actually are able to get other ones to come in and out of your story based on your choices that you make, which adds another element to this game. And like I said, you can make any type of character you want. You want a bruising fighter with double axes? Go for it. If you want a person that casts magic from the back? Go for it. You could pretty much make any type of character you want. You want a summoner that summons things to fight for you? You could do that. There's a plethora of different skills that you can do. So the customization in this game is amazing, and the actual overarching story is something to just behold. So, really, I, that's Madara. Madara is the epic dungeon crawler that uh, has an unending, I guess, character creation and a fantastic story that you can really live these characters' lives. And it has great lore that goes along with it. 
I know I asked you to describe the game, but I felt like you totally gave us the review. <laughs> <laughs> I may have said a little bit too much, but you know, hey, at least people get an idea of what it is. No, that's great. Thank you for that. So that was awesome. Uh, yeah, let's just jump into it. So do you want to continue with your number five? Yes, my number five. I could. Re- I would be more than happy to do that. My number five is the way that this game implements its hidden elements. Now, there's three different ways it does this. One, it uses a red uh, code red code thing you used to get like cracker jack boxes and things like this it's a red decoder that will actually be able to read some of the text in the book that you can't see now there is a small problem with this one um i do know that some people's vision can actually see straight through this so sadly that was a little bit of a miss but it still kind of works the other two ways they do hidden elements in this game is you set up the board based on how the dungeon book tells you to do it. Now, after that, you might need to go to different parts of this dungeon and you'll find different tokens like uh, there's these totems that if you draw a line of sight to can activate certain parts of the dungeon. Um, there could be levers, there could be things you're pulling or pushing, or maybe even defeating something might trigger a different part of the dungeon. And if it does that, there's a special book called the, oh, I forgot the name of the book. I want to, it's like a hidden elements book that actually the, tells you to turn to a certain page in there and you actually add new tiles that you didn't know about when the game was actually originally put on the board. So I enjoy that kind of concept. So you think you're done, but surprise, you're not. And so, oh no, I don't have a lot of health to be able to figure this out because I just spent it all trying to take down this monster. Well, surprise, there's still two more parts of this dungeon you got to get through. You better figure out how to do it. I think that's kind of cool how they do that. Of course, the final way they do hidden elements is they do have a set of cards that are in a special uh, sleeve set of a, we call it, a wrapped up in the cellophane that you have to take apart. And in there is a special block of hidden cards. And I'll tell you to pull card, let's say 1H, then you have to go through and find 1H. And it might be maybe a boss monster, or it might be an actual new item for you that you might have gained from doing something in the adventure. So you never know what these are, but it's until you get to them. So it's cool that that's part of the game. I really think it's neat how they did their hidden element system. They have three different ways. I know other dungeon crawlers have done it, but they've never, I've never seen one really implement multiple ways of doing hidden elements. So that was my number five. It was kind of long-winded, but I love the way they do their hidden elements simple. And I'd give it a plus, except of course that red coder thing eh, might be a little bit of a miss, but it's, it works for me because well, I can't see through it. So I'm totally on board with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good one. I, I agree with you. I don't think there are many other dungeon calls that try to do so much hidden information without bringing it to the forefront. And like reading through the red decoder reading, whatever you call it, right? The, the, the viewer, viewfinder, I guess it's called maybe. Yeah, if you have different types of code blindness, you might be able to see through it. But for most of the population, it works really well. I actually liked it quite a bit. And, and being able to not know what's in the box, have to open different envelopes, that's cool too. Now, my only kicker to this is I'm never a fan when you're playing through a dungeon crawler You've got the map and the board set up and you get to a part where like, oh, cool. Now you've got this new area to find and then I have to stop play and then go find those tiles and add them to the board, right? And so while I do like how they're hidden, I kind of wish it'd be like, hey, grab, you know, this envelope. You don't know what's inside of it, but just grab this envelope and then maybe it has those tiles in there later. Then you can pull them out. So it's quicker. I don't like having a lot of downtime when having to build a new part of the map. That's very true. I never thought about that. It would be better if maybe those extra parts of that would be just in an envelope. Hey, this is going to open up envelope A, and in there might be a couple map tiles. You're good to go. Right. I could right. see where they did it. But I will tell you right now, there are so many map tiles in that game that 
I think that that's why they probably didn't go in that direction. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty minor thing, honestly, and I do really appreciate all the different avenues like you suggested they added hidden information. That's a good one. Yes, it is. Now, Steve, I want to know what your number five is. My number five is one that people warn me about, and I do see it as being a, a problem, but not as much of a factor as I was expecting. So this is a con starting it off, and that's the uh, potential huge swings of luck. I say that because this is a dice chucker. And it's a fun dice chucker. Uh, you, you roll into dice, and depending on the higher value you get on there, you tend to get a lot of symbols. And those symbols can be used to spend for other effects. So it's kind of like if I roll a really big number, I also get a lot of good symbols on it. So the, like, the, the range of values you can get out of the dice is either like hit them a little bit generally or hit them a ton with a ton of different powers on top of it. And if you're not ready for that, you could really feel the pain in certain situations. Now, this is only number five. It didn't make it very high on my list because, honestly, as I was playing with Barrett and seeing the different options in the game, they do have a lot of ways to mitigate that. So it wasn't necessarily a, an issue where I would feel distraught if it happened a lot because, you know, oh, yeah, I've got this one thing. I can build my character in a different way, so I won't, won't have to deal with that a whole lot. But it is in the game, and if you don't like huge swings of luck or potential for that that you, that you have to plan and mitigate for, then you may not like this part of the game. That's uh, very true. Maybe I should have mentioned in the uh, what Madara is that it actually is a dice chucker that you roll dice on. <laughs> I never even mentioned the dice. <laughs> but he's right. Those dice can make it or break it for you. But it is cool that they do have items and stuff you can buy that can mitigate that. It does really help. Definitely. Uh, I'll go ahead and jump on my number four just to change up a little bit. Please do. My number four is mostly a pro. I say that. Uh, because I liked a lot what they did, and that is the scenario design. You mentioned this a little bit in your description, and I completely agree. I feel like this, the scenarios and the maps you build are really well done. Generally, in these dungeon crawlers, it's a lot of, hey, just kill everything in the room, move on, right? And this one, to be fair, you still are killing everything in the room, but it's not straight up just destroy everything. There are, like, levers to pull and, like crevasses to, to to get across or like uh, guys that might pop out or maybe like a boss guy that you can go punch maybe and fight him or there might be another way of, of dealing with them that's not immediately clear. And so having these alternative methods of dealing with the goals, I really, really liked. Uh, I, I say, and then the, because I said it was mostly pro, the my slight con to this is sometimes there's weird ways you can get around the goal. <laughs> and we ran into this a couple times. We're like, one of the characters in the game has wings and she can fly. And so like, yeah, you have to go from point A to point B and they have this big path you have to go or like a big loop around, but she could probably just fly over the gap and go directly to the goal. You know, it's, and it's, it just seems a little weird that you can do that. It's not a huge deal. I kind of like the idea you have like the panic button. Oh no, get out of here quick. Go to escape. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's fun. But that's my slight negative. Cause it kind of like takes away way what you might want to do but honestly it's player choice you're not forced to fly that way you're not forced to do that like i said it's mostly a panic button that's true that the character she's mentioning is remy remy has the ability to fly now they did actually believe it or not they've mitigated this a little bit the original remy was allowed to fly almost at any time but now her oh no button has become a little bit more uh scaled down she can only fly if she has more than half her health so yeah. but yes that i i have i have used the oh no button <laughs> at least <laughs> once in my time playing this game 
<laughs> Definitely. Well, and then I guess the narratives can get a little long at times. Like, some of them are, like, really well, like, okay, play a game, sit down, I feel satisfied, and move on. And some of them are, can, are longer, they can vary in length, and then maybe it's like, you know what, I wish this was one of the shorter ones, I can, like, take a break from it, and, and maybe have a good save point or pause point. Not a huge deal, but honestly, overall, I really like the scenarios, and that's a pro for me. So, Baron, what's your number four? My number four actually is kind of a controversial one for some people. For me, it's not. But I actually enjoy the style they went with, the JRPG type of style. For those of you that don't understand or know much about it, it's a Japanese role-playing game style of art. It's more of an anime kind of Final Fantasy type thing. You've got guy wearing wielding a sword two times the size of him stuff like that and it or like a character that's more the more scantily dressed that probably shouldn't be in battle at at all but this art style to me is something i've kind of grown up with i used to watch a lot of like well back in the 80s and 90s uh when cartoons were what they were i was actually watching more anime stuff because i found that more entertaining than some of the he-man and she-ra and gi joe type stuff that was on so to me the art style i think is a real plus i like the style of it and they do have a lore system that they built on their website that you can go and find out the lore and why it all works the way it does because it is a mix of our stuff and their stuff what i mean by that is you've got leather jackets from like our world but then you've also got these like runic bows from their world so it's a mix of everything and i like the way they mix the two styles together to bring this more jrpg type style in art to this thing now like i said it's not for everybody because they're some of the the art is a little risque compared to some of the other art on dungeon crawlers it's not your dark dirty dungeon crawler it's a bright like colorful world that these characters are running around in and i think i like that a lot more than sometimes getting just this browns and greens and grays all the time so that's just my opinion i kind of i kind of like the way their art style went and so of course (laughs) believe it or not baron's got another pro (laughs) yeah i think the art was well done for like the the quality of it i i think i'm on the side of i kind of wish it wasn't so risque at times like it's not it's not bad i don't think it's not like i mean if you watch anime it's what you see in anime exactly what you mentioned so (laughs) Uh, but I know some people wouldn't care for that type of kind of risqueous element, so that might be a turnoff for you. Uh, but I did like the interesting mixture of the theme that you mentioned, meaning that yes, you have elements from the quote unquote real world in it, and you also have like medieval stone axes in it, and that was a cool mixture. Like, hey, I know what this is in real life, but I don't know what this like weird, I don't know, bow and arrow that can like, I don't know. A bow arrow of justice for example and so it kind of like i don't think i've seen that before where you got like i'm so i'm so used to like oh here's your generic fantasy with your orcs and goblins and everything you know you're kind of used to seeing um you don't really see many modern twists to it and so i appreciate that element of it that's very true and even the monsters are like that you're unless you're speaking orcs and goblins and trolls and things like that there, there isn't one of those in here you're not going to find any of that. It's all like more fantasy, almost like, again, the JRPG type style. You're fighting these crawlers. You're fighting rock monsters, water, like these water spirits and things like this that are coming out as opposed to like, okay, we got to kill those three goblins, those four skeletons, which is usually your, the ones you'd normally find in a type of dungeon crawler. So it is kind of cool to have a, even that kind of twist on it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, after doing my number four, I'm going to have Steve go ahead and tell me his number three. My number three is a con. And this is a con that won't be con for everyone, but it's definitely a con for me. 
And that is having to play with the, the same four characters. I like in games if I can play as one person, one character in the game, if possible. Because that way I feel like this is me. I'm personified as this. This is my avatar in the game state. Now, it's not a huge deal to play with four. In fact, when Baron and I played, um, he played two, I played two. Uh, the good news about this, because this game does have uh, character elimination, if you do play with uh, controlling more than one character, if one of your characters did die, you still have another one you can play with. So you don't feel like you're out of the game necessarily. So there's some pros to it. Um, the other pro I think you mentioned in the intro was the narrative cohesion. That's probably the biggest pro with having, hey, here's your four characters that you have to play with. The good news is that these characters, while you have to play with all of them, you do have a lot of flexibility with them. And I'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, for me, I would have preferred if there was an option to play with only one. I, I can understand. I got about, I think I got three words for you for that one. Um, not a con. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know me. <laughs> That's right. You know me. I'll actually just, <laughs> I actually am that perfect example. I don't mind playing with more than one character. I don't mind. I play with four characters. I play Kingdom Death Monster right now. Four characters. You're always playing with four. Of course, different total environment when that game. But I don't mind having lots of characters. I don't mind controlling a lot of characters. And if the story, I can see your point where if it didn't have that story to go with these characters, that was such a huge part of this game. I could Definitely. see that being a real tough thing. Of course, there is a alternate way of playing with less characters, but to me, it just still doesn't feel like Madara. If you're playing that way, what they do is they they can they'll let you like take the abilities of the other two characters and add them to the two characters you decide to play. So there is a way of doing it. But again, without those characters, it, you kind of miss some of what's going on and you don't really get attached to all the characters to really feel for what's happening in the story because things happen to different characters and it can just, and it, it can be, I don't know how emotional it is, but it, something you're tied to, if that something happens to that character, you're kind of like, oh man, that's my character. That was really rough that that happened to. And, or this person might have to be taken out for a while because something happens and a new character comes in that you got to play with. And you're like, but I don't want that character. I want to play with this character that I've been building on for so many, so many games. So it, it's, I don't know. I don't, of course, coming from a person that plays all these type of things, I, I've never seen that as a con, but for those that would like to play with just one or, or even just two, yes, this game is going to, it's going to be a little rough. Okay, Baron, what's your number three? My number three, I think you've kind of already discussed a little bit, and it was, but just touched on it. I like the uh, branching narratives and the alternate stories based on the choices and successes and failures you have in this game. This game doesn't stop if you die. It's not one of those go back and play the board again. It's going to say, well, if you didn't win, you're going to go to this episode in the book and continue playing. Of course, at some point they, in the game, if you've lost enough, it will kind of give you this, hey, just a heads up, you're going down a really bad path. And if you don't make it through <laughs> this one, this could be the end of the game and you're only like a quarter of the way through the book. So it does give you kind of that heads up as to, hey, you should kind of pick it up, kind of figure it out. Um, but they do give you it, uh, at least a little bit of ease to actually mitigate, again, that swinginess. Oh, my gosh, these two characters total, or monsters totally w took out two of my guys in the second round. We're, I don't think we're going to make it through this. Well, if you don't, the story continues. It just has a different way of going. And even yeah. in those dungeons that we were doing, we even noticed a different ending based on what we did at one point that could change the way the future of your of the game kind of developed, which I thought was pretty cool. 
yeah, the multiple paths in this is really, really interesting. Like I, I mentioned it earlier, right? Playing even a single scenario where it's like, oh, yeah, I can choose to punch this bad guy or I can maybe try to like talk to him or or even they have different story elements where like, hey, this enemy appeared out of nowhere and now is charging you. What do you want to do? And you have, there's no, well, there could be some dice rolling in there. But uh, you do have some choices. Like, do I want to try dodging? Do I want to try swinging? Like, what what do you do? And then based upon that, it's going to reflect uh, the rest of the story, which is really, really well done. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cool how you do that. It's it's something, again, you don't see in too many dungeon crawlers. I mean, I know I, the only one I can really think of that has a fail-forward system that is remotely similar would almost be that Lord of the Rings one from Fantasy Flight, where even if you lose, you can usually still go forward with something, some kind of repercussion. But in this one, it's not just a necessarily a repercussion. It's just a different way the game and story is going to happen. This could be where potentially one of your guys gets eliminated and a new character comes in that has yeah. to help, that it changes the story, that now maybe you're working with this character to do something completely different than the original four we're going to do. But it's because you died a couple times or and, and things just didn't go your way. And it's a cool way to see something new happen. Yep, that's a good one. It is a good one, Steve. And that's my number three. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're down to two we only got two left you want to go with your number two yes my number two it had to make my list because this is something i love seeing in games okay this is a pro and that is the enemy ai i'm a huge sucker for ais that are interesting and intriguing and more than just like move forward and attack or stand still if he's in range and attack that's just like like every game does that and it just becomes more of a puzzle well it's a puzzle anyway but like more of a just say a dumb thing that you have to beat up on as opposed to the game itself having some life and having some well honestly intelligence to it really is what boils down to it and so this one how it works is all the enemies have a ai card which gives them all their stats all that fun stuff but it also has a logic tree so it says hey if this then that if this then that or if this do this and this and this and this and so it's a lot of us like, hey, is there an, a hero within so many spaces of it? Okay, then execute this part of the, the command. And I love that. It's so much fun to strategize on like, okay, if I'm in this range or in this position, the bad guy is going to do this effect. Do we want that to happen? Well, maybe not. Then, well, how do we position ourselves or get around that so we have him doing the less worse things to us? And this is the same thing that I encounter in another dungeon called Sword and Sorcery. It has a similar AI, and I loved it there, and I love it here. I agree. I actually like Sword and Sorcery a lot, and I like it for one of those reasons as well. That AI system is really cool. This AI system is really fantastically done as well. And like Steve says, you can have your master plan set up. You can be like, okay, we have to stay at least six faces away for something to happen. Okay, so then the only issue is this game does, of course... Yeah, you got mixes it up a little bit. The way the order turn for characters and monsters go is you have a small deck, you shuffle it up, and then you draw out the cards. And from front to back, that's the order of the people. So if you thought, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get it. So it attacks, and then we're going to come in, and then the next round we're going to get it. You better hope you get it before it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. So it is pretty cool to see your plans that you have work. And then if they don't work, try to figure out what you're going to do about it. Okay, well, nope, he's going to go second. So we got to figure out what to do with our first guy so that since we know that it didn't work out the way we're going. And it's kind of cool to kind of live on the fly as well. So this, I think this game does both of those very well. And it's all because of that AI system. Steve, you know what? 
my this AI system didn't even make my cut. What was I thinking? Oh, there's so many good things in this game. It's hard to get just five. <laughs> well, I'm glad I covered something you didn't because this one really stands out to me. And like the reason why I like it so much is you can really plan around it because it's a known entity. Like this game is a dice checker. There's a lot of random randomness already in it. This is a non-random aspect to it. And it's so much fun to puzzle it out and try to figure out, well, I know he's going to do these horrible things. I have this one character. He's pretty good at blocking that damage, or maybe he can deal more damage to him. If we can position our guys in such a way so that he acts first, like you're talking, or or I don't know. It just it becomes so much fun. It really, for me, drives the conversation at the table. It did. And there's, I think I, I remember many, many times we're standing there figuring like, okay, so we're going to do about this guy. And we're like, okay, what if we do this? I'm like, okay, well, I know Rook has this power that can take all the damage for one turn where he's not going to get hurt. So let's, since we know this guy hits like a truck, let's just put him up there for the first turn, see what happens and see what we can do to him. And then we can adjust after that. And it worked out pretty good most of the time, most of the time. Most of the time, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's my number two. Big pro for me. I love seeing this in games. So what's your number two, Barrett? My number two has to be the storybook. Oh my goodness. This storybook is out of control. 400 plus pages of written text for the game. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's like, it's just, it's the epic dungeon crawler you've always wanted to play. It's like shoving Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, well, I guess 11 was an MMORPG, but 12 and 13, all like 14, throw it all in there. Throw all of them together. <laughs> it's just that big of a game compared to other dungeon crawlers that you ever play. Most have like maybe a small storybook that kind of goes along with it. I mean, some brag about how big it is. I have never seen a game that has this much written text that shows this much thought, gives this much to core story development for characters. And to me, it's, it's, it has to be in here. It starts off, of course, and I can tell you, we've played through the first part of that book and just the first four encounters, which I've done a playthrough of on my channel, um, is just like graduating from a college or a high school even. So it almost starts off as like this CW. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like the, I'd say, teenager, early young adult, like uh, TV station here. And so it kind of has a lot of those like teeny bopper. I shouldn't say teeny bopper. That's not the word I'm looking for. It has some of those like just less thick and deep and dark concepts at the beginning. But as the game goes forward, even to the point we were, Steve, I could tell that this game is going to move towards more of a, I shouldn't say mature theme, but it's going to have more of a thick narrative that delves into these characters and the lives, not only of them, but their families and all the things that surround their kingdoms and the world that they're in. I think it's absolutely amazing. And this is just the first game. There's two more games. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up. And at the risk of comparing it to like Harry Potter, because the writing is not even, not the same. Don't get me wrong. But like, I'm only bringing up Harry Potter because in that series of books, you start off with like, oh yeah, he's going to school and he's like a young kid, and then at some point in the series, he winds up like it starts getting darker and darker and developing itself. And so in in that sense, I feel like the story here is is similar and. Yes, it is really well done with all the narration behind it. I think it's fantastic how, how much the thought they put into it. You're exactly right. But I think my, this is a big pro, but with a, with a caveat to it, a negative aspect to it, in the sense that like if I'm going to sit down and play this game, it is sometimes a lot of text to go through 
if you want to play with somebody's at a table or if you want to play a couple of missions in a row, right? And that could really hamper your time together. I feel like as good as narration is, it helps a lot to be able to consume that or read it or listen to it outside of it. Now, the nice thing is they have spark notes, which really help a lot. So you can still get the feeling for it while, while keeping the game moving. So there's solutions to it. But uh, that's just something to be aware of if you're trying to play with a group of people at a table. That is a huge point to bring up. I have a fantastic story for you. So you might know this guy. His name's Colin. He, uh, he, he, he's on the one-stop co-op shop sometimes. He, uh, is he? Yeah, I know. I know. He, I, he's this guy. I, I met him one time. For okay. those that don't know, <laughs> Colin and I actually live about 15 to 20 minutes away from each other. So one of our friends was in town, and so he was thinking of maybe giving Madara a shot. So I thought, you know what? Of course, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about in Madara, but it's a good story. So I thought, I'm going to bring Madara over. Never met Colin before in my life. I brought it over to this house, set it up, got it all set to go, and we're sitting there. And I go, now, do you want to hear what the game's about, or you just want me to tell you what's going on? Colin goes, go ahead. I'll be more than happy to listen to it. Nine and a half minutes later, after just the first excerpt is done, and we played the first round, we got through the first mission. I go to the second one. Now, do you want to hear the next part? And Colin goes, is there a way to just do it a little bit faster than that? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yes, at the table, I would never bring the narrative out. I would never bring that big giant book out. I would use it just to set the maps up and everything. Like you said, there's a spark note system. And for those that don't know, the spark notes out of 425 pages, the spark notes is probably a 10 page document. So they have condensed it into 10 pages. So when you're going for the first mission, you probably are going to read maybe I'd say half a page of text, and it gives you at least a concept of what's going on. Now, after you play that, or you get to a point where you're like, oh, I finished the dungeon early. Well, what happens? Let's just read a couple of these spark notes. Okay, we got it. Now let's play the next map. Now, when you go home, this is what I did actually when I was playing with Steve. I would listen to that narrative in the car on the way to work the next day to know what we missed or what was coming up until our next, our next encounter. So we would never have each other sit there and listen to this long thing, though it is amazing. And then a lot of the times you could even talk about it when you get back to the table. Hey, did you guys get a chance to read, listen to that? Yes, I did. Could you believe that this happened? Could you believe that that happened? What do you think of this character kind of thing? So it did bring out a little more talking points once you come to the game while even somebody's setting up even that mission or the next mission. So you have something to kind of talk about based on what's happened in the story. So there are some pros and cons. Yes, I would never bring it out at the table, or it will be a huge con to almost anyone, unless you have a couple <laughs> of people that just like to sit there and listen to somebody read or listen to a foreteller's narration of Madara for that amount of time. Now, on the flip side, I have no problem listening to my car on the way to work. That was fantastic. I learned so much. It was awesome. Now, Steve, we're going to go for our number one, and I'm going to guarantee for the second time in all of our podcasting career we are going to sync up on number one. I bet you money on it. Well, I mean, not money, but I will bet you. I think you might be right because there's one big thing we haven't really talked about yet that neither of us has really mentioned. Yep, so. but I bet if I count to the, on three, we're both going to say it. One, two, three. Character Hero customization. customization. Yep. <laughs> of course yep. it is. All right, Steve, go ahead. Tell me what you think. So when I was writing this list, my number one was a quick thing to write down. This is the biggest pro for Madara for me. So, like I said before, I didn't quite care for having four characters at the table that you have to manage. Not a huge deal because they really only have a f- different stats and, like, one special power. 
But like Baron said, they're mostly a blank slate. And so this is the cool part about the game is you can customize the characters however you want. They can flex to be any type of style. So like if you happen to like this character, maybe you like them in the, the narration because the narration is good. Like I felt like I can connect with this character. You can make the character your play style because like me, I like sneaky stuff. And so I turned one of the characters into a backstabbing flying angel. And like, why not? You know, it just felt like one would do. And so, and I like summoners. I made one of them into a summoner. And it, I could have chosen either of them to be the backstabbing, you know, thief type thing. And the other being the summoner, doesn't matter. And you can mix and match however you want. And this is by far the best thing about this game. Absolutely right. There are so many different ways to build these characters. It's so good. I mean, some of them, like he says, have powers that almost kind of steer you down a thing, but it's just, they're so inconsequential as you play through the game that they're really not going to make that big of a deal. Madara contains five different ability sets. Now, these are different sets of how the characters work. You could have martial sets built on, like, material weapons. You could have uh, subterfuge, which is very much built more on a dexter, stealthy type of character. You've got... uh, uh, courier, which is more of the spell casting type. Um, then there's is sub is it subterfuge? There's two more. Sorry, I don't have them right out in front of me. I feel terrible. I should know these off the top of my head, but I don't. One of them has to do with more summoning or in that aspect. And inside these aspects, that's not just their, their that's their core, but there is things outside of it too that those skill sets also bring in. And there's one more that was built more to almost be like a supporting type thing where that's where you're finding your heal spells and things like that. So there's five different abilities. And inside that, there are 22 different abilities that the character can get from each one of those. So that's an, it's astronomical. And you can get these characters out to be whatever you want. What was I playing? I was at, I and you can adjust on the fly. We started using Rook as a, double axe wielding berserker guy. Well, we found that wasn't the best plan, mainly because he rolled terribly, but that was the <laughs> <that> point. <laughs> he did. He rolled absolutely terribly. So we actually adjusted him and he started gaining skills that were allowing him to take damage and stuff, as opposed to just going out and being a berserker, which helped a lot. He actually was, he had the heal spell with him too. So he was taking damage and healing at the same time. So it was a weird mix that we had with him. We started off using Nightingale, one of the other characters, as like she was going to use some spells and attack with swords. By the end of the time, she was standing back firing arrows. I mean, it just, you can, you can switch these on the fly by picking up different skills that make the characters con- totally change the way that you originally thought you'd want to play the character. And once you find the play style that works, it's great to go that way. But of course, don't be afraid to try something else. It works that way. The skill sets work so well. And the way you can customize characters is absolutely out of control. Again, never seen something like this in a dungeon crawler with this many ways of doing it. Of course, there is one small caveat. This game can be at some point, if people really dig into these skills, you could probably metagame this thing pretty badly. And I know that they're working hard to prevent that. And I know they've done lots of playtesting things to stop that. So they have, I think, adjusted a few of the skills to hopefully calm some of the skills down and boosted some other skills. Of course, you always want to try to make a level playing field. But with five abilities and 22 different cards in each ability set... (laughs) <laughs> I can't even believe I, I, I would be, be a nightmare to try to like put all that on a level playing field. But honestly, Steve, I think what we did was a blast. We just picked some stuff we wanted to go with. We think that was fun and it worked. We made it all the way through without too much problem. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, we've been talking a lot about the powers, but it's not only the powers. It's even the equipment and items to find the game. 
there's some legendary stuff you can come across too, some really rare stuff, and that in itself will change how you play and build your characters, which makes it really, really fun. I totally forgot about the items. That is absolutely true. There's a market phase all the time after each, when you get certain spots, you can rest, go to markets. There's even an area in the book that tells you, hey, you're at the city. And then this is what you can do at the city. And we didn't even mention the side quests that you can pick up. You can pick up side quests that if you do them, you're going to get more gold that you can spend at the city and buy items. And in an interesting fashion, all the items are available for you to purchase in Madara, except, of course, the hidden ones that aren't there. You don't know what they are. And some of the really powerful ones, they usually only give you about one you can purchase at a time. So unlike other ones where like, oh, you get like cards one through six. No, you get all of them from certain a certain deck. Of course, the difference is there's four decks of cards you can buy from. And these unlock as you go through the story deeper. Obviously, you can't buy it. You, they wouldn't put out the $600 bow for you right at the beginning of the game and you just save up for it. They're only going to give you these mundane cards at the beginning. Then they give you common, uncommon, and rare. And the But the merchant does sell every one of those. So it is kind of cool in that way. It's not just put out five cards. Here's what I got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and when I sat down to build or design our characters, uh, when we first decided to start playing through Madara, I honestly felt a little overwhelmed just because there's so many possibilities where I, when I build or construct a deck in something like Lord of the Rings or Marvel Champions, I have a huge problem where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to use this character with these cards in it for this like strategy or combo. And then as I'm, as I'm, pulling cards out and look at other cards I'm like oh this is cool i want to do this instead and i had this exact same problem with dara where i was like oh cool i'm going to have this character be this and like i'm looking through the powers and looking through some of the items like oh wait this item looks really cool i'm okay i'm gonna change my plan and i look through it some more and like oh wait this looks cool too okay i'm gonna change my plan again and so i start off with plan a and i end up with like plan f at the end so. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's fantastic that shows a good game to me that shows a good game it gives you all these uh, i agree completely that that's a good sign for a game so. oh true so we both had the same number one I, I i didn't think it wouldn't be this one just because of the amount that we have so Fandara's top five there we go so let's talk about our overall thoughts. Uh, maybe I'll go first because I think you might be a little more positive than me. <laughs> just, just a hint. <laughs> just, just a little bit, because if anybody wants a spoiler, if you ever go watch my 2019 best games of the year, that might be number one. We we not dodge, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so oh, my thoughts on this game. I actually liked it more than I expected. I know there's a talk to some other people that say, you know, like, oh, yeah, Madara's cool, but I don't like X, Y, Z of it. It's not really for me. And, you know, going to it, I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. It seems to make sense what you're saying, but I want to try it for myself. And one of the big things is the luck, right? Having a character run up, and I, I know one of our friends went up and he has a character die, like, almost immediately in the game, <laughs> which is really unfortunate, but it can happen, right? But, like... <sighs> It didn't seem that bad to me that you can mitigate it. There's a lot of choice of mitigate, mitigations in there. But like for me, the character or customization is the best I've seen in a dungeon crawler. And then having an awesome AI, those two is like one-two punch for me. I actually, that was a huge driving factor in me enjoying the game. The other one is just playing with Baron because Baron's awesome. He's fun to play with. <laughs> if you guys ever get a chance to actually meet him at his table, do it. <laughs> oh, so. Steve, that's so nice of you to say. You're fantastic to play with, too. I love playing every game with you. But, yeah, so, I mean, that was that's fun no matter what. But, anyway, the narration is good, too. Like, I I struggle with it at the table, of course, but outside of the game, it's it's well done. 
this is a top tier dungeon crawler for a reason, and I would think it's uh, something to look at. Now, is it my number one dungeon crawler? No, but I can easily see this being a lot of people's number one dungeon crawler. Steve, just out of curiosity, what is your number one dungeon crawler? I think I still have to pick, I know people are going to hate me at this, Sword and Sorcery for my number one. And I say that because it has a smart AI, which I love. It allows me to play as one hero, but also doesn't have player elimination. Because in that game, you die, you're a ghost, and your ghost actually can be fairly powerful in that game. And so those are like some key things I wanted to get around in Dungeon Crawl, and it does solve that for me. Okay, just out of curiosity. And by the way, you, you, I'm I'm in your camp. Huge fan of Sword and Sorcery, so don't worry. You get you got a backer, <laughs> you, you got a supporter backing you up. But yeah, so yes, Madara. What do I think of Madara? There's not much more I can say. I mean, honestly, man, this is this is this is AKA my jam. Huge fan of this one. Don't mind running the four characters. Love having the customizations. I love even if you're not optimally playing this game, you're still having fun. You're still able to rock through the game. Of course, like I said, some swinginess. I thought we did a pretty good job mitigating it, even just taking some fun skills that we thought would be a lot of fun to play with. I think we did a great job doing that. So just in our have fun at the table type approach, we still were able to play and have fun and not feel like too much swinginess was going on. And that, that player elimination you're talking about where our our friend got destroyed in one turn, that, that happened to be at the exact same day that I showed them this game. It was the friend that came down with Colin. <laughs> to see Colin. He was the one who walked his guy over and got eliminated in the first round. And I've never seen that happen, nor have I ever seen that happen again. So kudos to him for being, for me, for allowing him to <laughs> giving me the opportunity to see something I've never seen in a game, which is pretty awesome. But yes, Madara is fantastic. Story is fantastic. Everything is fantastic. This game is fantastic. Is it for everybody? No, it's not, of course, going to be for everybody. Everybody, I mean, even the amount of time sunk into this game, if you wanted to play through it, is something that is, you really have to, it's almost, it's it's on the par with like a Gloomhaven. You have to dump Definitely. that time into it to really experience it. I mean, even the four intro scenarios, I mean, there's four scenarios just for the intro of the game. And that's, and then after that, it continues. So, I mean, even doing that, that was, I, I did all four of them on my channel. And it was, oh my gosh, I have to say that. I, I think it was like 12 to maybe 14 videos, maybe 10 to 14 or something. So it was, it was a lot because I had to break them up because it did take some time to get through them. So there is a huge time sink for this. So if it's not, if you're willing to put the time, this is the game. This is the game. There's not much out there that will give you almost everything you'd want a dungeon crawler like this. I, I, I just can't say that enough. So Madara, yeah. number one. This is, I, I think we're in agreement. This is one of the top dungeon crawlers for a reason. And you, depending on what you like, I mean, you may not like this one due to some caveats like me that I mentioned, but regardless, I think this is going to be one of those contenders. If you put together a dungeon crawler list, it's, this one should be near, near the top somewhere. For sure. I, I, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Of course, I can think of some other ones right now that I could also put up there as well, which is, and Sword and Sorcery, I'd say would be one of them even. As yeah, we're talking and Gloomhaven about. too, right? I, mean, I agree. Yep, those are all top tier dungeon crawlers for sure. Mm -hmm. I could probably think of a few more, maybe somewhere, but eh, oh, definitely. Another that's another time. Hmm, maybe a podcast on that sometime. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Okay, that's gonna wrap up our review of Madara. Hope you enjoy listening. 
And Baron, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh man, I'm here every time you want to talk about a game, I will be here. And trust me, I will find five reasons why you should like this game every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure if anyone types like Madara in our Discord, and Baron's right there. Oh, what? Someone say Madara? What's going on? So <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very true. So anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.